0: Hello, 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 and welcome back, or welcome for the first time. This is the Intellectual Freedom Podcast and course, and I am Dr. David Hopkins, Humanities Professor, and I'm so happy you have come along here for the ride today, and this is really going to be quite the journey as we are leaving Asia. We were talking about Confucius, Buddha, Lao Tse, Mencius, which we've been on oh for about 4 weeks now and we are traveling over to Greece and we will be camping out there studying the great minds of Greece for a number of weeks and I'm so pumped to look at the archaic all the way through the classical age of Greece but first but first, we are, before we get going at all here, this podcast is best followed along by subscribing to the Substack course. If you do this, you're going to get via email not only this podcast, but you're also going to get additional resources. And access to the very book that we are reading from right now, and I'll be discussing today from the wisdom literature genre. And you can literally email me directly from that Substack course any questions or comments on anything that we discuss today. And you know we have over sixty plus followers already, and I and I'd love to have you along uh, and, and join us. Uh, no, you do not need to subscribe to the Substack course, although it is 100% free, and, and I'm not upselling you anything, I promise, uh, but hey, why not get the most from the podcast as possible? If not, just enjoy this uh, talk we're having today. Either way, I don't do this for money. I want to publish content relevant to my field in the humanities and hopefully get people excited about studying and thinking deeply. Even if you never went to college or maybe you graduated a long time ago and you're looking for something deeper, some mental stimulation, but uh, there's great value overall in in thinking and reading and studying and listening to content that just isn't that uh, superficial, fluffy cultural stuff. As in this course, we go deep. Right now, deep into the genre of wisdom literature where the ethical, moral, religious, and philosophical are always on center stage and not relegated to some backseat afterthought. So, please check out the Substack link. It's in the description of this podcast. But enough with the introductory stuff. Let's just go ahead and jump right into it. As you know, I just kind of freeform this. I don't do a whole lot of editing to the podcast, so any little bumps or glips along the way? Hey, just uh, show a little grace with it. Uh, this is more just about me and you talking about this topic. But the podcast today is about Aesop. And he lived roughly, although we don't know for sure, in the 6th century BC. Aesop has has been come to be seen in many ways, almost in a mythical capacity, as the recognized father of fables. Now... If he were alive today, he may find that whole elevation of his status is, is sort of comical. But hey, he holds that position in our modern world. As in the case of many early figures such as Solomon and, and when we looked at Proverbs or Lao Tse in the Taoist tradition. If you remember our studies there, a lot of, how shall I say it, a, a convenient way of both honoring this towering figure is he is the father of the tradition of fables. So uh, as we get going here, although, although the historical records are really uncertain, as we are talking still 600 to 400 BC, uh, BC uh, there are references, there are historical references to Aesop in very early, Ancient historical sources which seem to verify that he was a slave in the 6th century BC who was supposedly sold to a philosopher called Xanthus on the island of Samos. Now, I I can't overstate enough what a big deal it would have been for a slave to be freed and then become a philosopher. Now, this is this is an unheard heard of as later we're actually going to read about a roman slave who became one of the primary stoic philosophers but 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 just know we're talking oh probably the less than one tenth of one percent of the of the slaves of that time that that could say that they earned their freedom because of intellectual prowess like aesop that's it's pretty impressive so In most of the historical sources, there is agreement that Aesop, he won his freedom by his skill in in basically telling stories, which is really what a fable is. Even these minimal facts suggest that that he had the kind of intellectual resourcefulness that the Greeks highly admired, which which definitely would have played in his favor as well to get out of his his, uh, uh, servitude, so... So what I've been reading all this week, and, and you can too, by the way, by diving into the, the book these podcasts are coming from, but but if you read The Life of Aesop, you can read blow by blow an account of Aesop's extraordinary life. It's, it's a fun read, as it contains wild and obscene elements along with plenty of satire, too. So... Aesop's fables they they found a very fervent audience with the rowdier elements in Greek and Roman society. Now this guy is nothing like Siddhartha Guantama, a son of a king or he wasn't a warrior child. He wasn't a highly respected sage commanding great respect at least initially and and so I want to read just a short passage of his physical description uh, from the historical record. It says this, quote, Aesop was by birth of a mean condition, and in his person deformed to the highest degree, flat-nosed, hunchbacked, blobber-lipped, a long misshapen head, his body was crooked all over, big-bellied, baker-legged, and his complexion so swarthy, that he took his name from it, and he was not only unhappy in in the most scandalous figure of a man that ever was heard of, but he was in a manner of manner tongue-tied too, by such an impediment in his speech that people could very hardly understand what he said. End quote. Now not the most glowing of descriptions of someone who achieved so much fame for sure i mean really his beginnings his look his demeanor and let alone the fact that he was a slave should give all of us hope in being able to achieve some things that, that we want to achieve in life but anyway fables this was his calling card aesop was famous for his fables so let's let's talk about how he wrote nearly all his most famous uh, writings. First of all, we can trace the history of fables to the earliest ethical traditions, which depended heavily on the use of stories and, and folk tales. Remember, they come from so far back that many of them were passed down. Hundreds, if not thousands of years before the write, before writing even existed. Stories stick with us. Stories resonate with us. Stories are powerful. As evidenced by Aesop being remembered all the way, here we are in 2022. So, fables make use of the animal and the natural world to teach us lessons. The point of view in the fables, they reflect from early view that... There, there wasn't really a separation of the human, the natural, and the supernatural worlds. Anything is possible in the world of fables. This bolsters the human imagination and creates a curious interest in the readers. Fables there is, is a literary jo- genre, a succinct fictional story. It is fiction, uh, whether it comes in the form of poetry or literary story. The, the fable, again, it, it features animals especially. And, and when we read Aesop's fables, we're going to see a lot of those legendary creatures or plants or inanimate objects or forces of nature uh, that are anthropomorphized and, and that illustrate or leads to a particular moral lesson, which may, at the end, be added explicitly as a concise maxim or maybe it's just a saying, or maybe it's a, a, a moral rule that you just sort of figure out as you go through this story. Now, before I go forward, let me just define real quickly anthropomorphic. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with the term, or maybe you heard it in college, forgot the meaning of it, but anthropomorphic simply means that we give human traits, emotions, or intentions to non-human entities. It's considered to be an innate tendency of human psychology to do this. You know, we do this quite frequently. If there are any pet lovers listening today, we tend to ascribe to our furry little friends the same human emotions, feelings and desires like we have. Now, I know, I know our pets do have emotions. I have pets too and and you can see them. Yet We can't prove scientifically that they have the same level of complexity in their thoughts, abstract thinking, or motives as humans have motives. In fables, non-human entities, whether they may be animals or just some object, they are given human qualities at the same intellectual and psychological level that you and I have this adds to the power of fables actually adds to it dramatically without that anthropomorphic element in fables, I guess I could say that they would lose nearly all their power to teach moral lessons and, and life lessons. So fables, they also differ from parables and we've been reading some parables. we have actually read a lot of parables. If you've been following along, um, In the parables, they exclude animals or plants or inanimate objects and the forces of nature as actors that assume speech. You don't see that in the parable, but we do see it in the fable. That's maybe the biggest difference there. They are purely life lessons by humans for humans when we look at the parable. Storytelling is still used by the mystical, the magical elements Uh, in fables but they're absent in parables but you know to give a definition of a fable isn't so easy as as any definition of a fable is accordingly it's it's going to be open to debate and possible adjustment but the tradition of fables did make it all the way into the middle ages so it made it a long time nearly two thousand years past the life of aesop which is which is pretty impressive although That's what happens with most human aesthetic creations. The fable, it did eventually deteriorate into more simplistic, cute, fun little children's stories like we know today, a.k.a. our Disney World fables. Uh, They were intentionally removed. So, So the fables, the longer they went, they started to remove anything that was difficult or violent or challenging life lessons a lot of times were simplified down uh they eliminated offensive content or unsuitability for children uh once we got after the middle ages fables really failed to capture the energy or the philosophical depth of the original virgins and and you will definitely see there's an edginess to the fables of aesop and sadly a modern fable has really become nothing more than cute or fun children playthings. Yet, it was once said that fiction is more true than reality. That might seem silly or hyperbole at first, but stop and think about it for just one minute. Fiction can be more true than reality. Fiction is can be more true than reality. And you might say, how in the world can that be? There's no way. That doesn't make any sense at all. Well, it comes to, it comes especially handy, fiction, in teaching or explaining morals. Because reality is specific to one person, one time, one event, and there are a million individual variables in the singularity of one real event. But fiction, oh, fiction can slice through all of those limitations and teach truths universally. There are no limitations on fiction. Morals taught in fiction versus looking at one real event cut out the oh, yeah, no, that doesn't teach a lesson to me because that guy or gal in that situation, that's nothing like my specific real-world situation. So that specific real event doesn't actually apply to me. I would never fall for it. I would never do it. It would never happen to me. But see, this is how fables and fictions, they sometimes do better at teaching morality and life lessons than reality itself. So the reading from The Life of Aesop, it's instructive because it demonstrates the way in which fables were used essentially as metaphors to unlock the deeper significance of notable events or moral life lessons. Although this was done in a... Remarkably robust manner, which anyone and everyone can read and understand. But at a deeper level, these fables, they demonstrate Aesop's deep insight to the nature of things. Aesop's fame seems to have rested on the real world relevance of the fables that he told and that he wrote. They seem to cut through the BS. And they score a direct hit on reality. They psycholo- they psychologically and the, and the real world reality of what life is all about. He seems to touch on it. He hits the truth of things square in the eyes in so many of his fables. And I, and I so, so strongly encourage you to read through his fables. So even if you don't have the book. Moral wisdom, by, by all means, in the Substack page, click the free additional resources and read through some of them. I mean, they just cut to the core of things in, in so many different ways. It is obvious that the fables were not merely metaphors, though. They, they were moral metaphors. Moral metaphors with a kick. And so the fables of Aesop give the reader a better grasp of life and its ethical profile as well. In many ways, better than the most substan- substantial religious doctrines that you can find. In this sense, they, they fit almost naturally into the wisdom tradition, which is why we're discussing them today. As we see in Aesop's final fable, which is addressed to the mob that he's about to be killed, they provided a powerful means of passing ethical judgment on people and their action. This is not an easy task nor easily accepted in the Disney World type fables in our modern movies. The force of these ancient fables should not be overlooked and are are worth our time to understand them, as most certainly you will find some ethical or moral life lesson you can use in your life, or at least remind and reinforce you on how to lead a good, a kind, ethical, and noble life. Yes, noble life. As Aesop teaches us, nobility isn't a birthright. Remember, he was a slave of all things, but rather, it's open to all of us if we'll just learn and implement the proper knowledge in our lives. The logical side of the fable tradition deserves just a brief mention. That early moral tradition culminated in the idea that stories and tales contain ethical propositions or ethical teachings, they function in many ways like a moral case law that draws appropriate principles out of a recitation of facts. The stories are so easy to remember and easy to recite, and they're easy to pass down, which had great value. Uh, this was a part of a slow, increasingly explicit historical development, which gave rise in Greece to a tradition of, related to the proverb tradition of collecting reason and logic composed of short, pithy sayings and aphorisms inside and out of that moral tradition. It definitely bears mentioning that Aesop's fables were originally compiled by sophist philosophers, which we will study soon enough, who used them as a vehicle for philosophy. These fables and their moral laws ultimately become a cornerstone of philosophical inquiry. And since this whole series that we're on right now is about moral law, that is powerful. So just because you may read a story about a fox or a grasshopper or a, a bird, I don't underestimate the logic, the knowledge, the morality that sits underneath. But still, what I love about the fables is, is that they're not stuffy, they're not complicated philosophies, but rather the fables are often rude, they're racy, they're grim, and we're seen as honest accounts of the moral realities of life. Which, let's face it, often life itself is very brutal and it's very nasty, and the ancient fables, they counsel us to be on high alert and to be skeptical in our dealings with others. Whether the other is a person or a government or, an, or a dishonest business, there is deep truth to be found in these morals. So the lessons Aesop teaches often suggest that success or even our very survival requires agile and skillful behavior shrewd deliberation and a willingness sadly what happens to exploit the weaknesses of others if not to use outright trickery hey hey that such is life to aesop who wrote these this isn't some pie in the sky dream world of rainbows and ponies and all is good and everything is either good or evil because not everything is black and white and for every good character trait in a person or society there is the potential for an equal evil or dark side you have them i have them everybody has them then fables When they're done in the old school fashion of Aesop, they don't let us fall into the Disney fairyland of one good guy or one bad guy, but rather there are incredibly complex nuances in life. This has been forgotten in so many ways. And and I don't want to go long into politics here, but my goodness gracious, If we compare the far left to the far right, everything is black or white, everything is good or bad, everything is easily discovered, nothing is easy, nothing is simple, and nothing is so straightforward as these politicians try and tell us they are. Aesop reminds us of this, and you'll read about this, and it's important that we don't just overindulge ourselves. An oversimplistic babble. So, as we get close to the end of our podcast and our time together today, I just I wanted to just read one of the favorite parables that that just stood out to me in 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 reading through them this week, and to give everyone, if you're not reading along with us, just a sample of one of his fables, and and it's called the dog, the meat. And the reflection, and so I'm just going to read it. It's really short, so so bear with me here. So here it is: "Quote, a dog sees some meat from the butcher shop, and ran away with it until he came to a river. When the dog was crossing the river, he saw the reflection of the meat in the water, and it seemed much larger than the meat he was carrying. So he dropped." his own piece of meat in order to try and snatch at the reflection. When the reflection disappeared, the dog went to grab the meat he had dropped, but he was not able to find it anywhere since a passing raven had immediately snatched the meat and gobbled it up. The dog lamented his sorry condition and said, Woe is me. I foolishly abandoned what I had in order to grab hold of a phantom. And thus I ended up losing both that phantom and what I had to begin with, end quote. What an awesome parable. I mean, really, how often do we chase after the illusion of things in life? The grass is always greener on the other side. Social media creates a reflection of things way bigger than a simple reflection in the water. On social media, images flash of how wonderful, great, beautiful, rich, and intelligent everyone is. If we're not careful, this can send us chasing after fantasies that, in reality, are false. Sorry about that. Had to get a drink of water there. Um, Social media... Use has been linked over and over again to depression, anxiety, and loneliness. Recent studies referenced by the, by the Child Mind Institute and the National Center for Health Research suggest people who frequently use social media feel more depressed, less happy with life than those who spend more time on non screen related activities you know that reflection of things being bigger greater grander online oh and we see it everywhere on instagram and facebook life is always happy the family's always great together everything is happy and wonderful that's an illusion it's an illusion it's an illusion even greater than a dog who has a big old chunk of meat in his mouth and sees a reflection of a bigger piece of meat in the, in the, in the water and drops what he actually had to take something else. I mean, these fables, I could go on and on about modern applications of every single one of them. And, and you're going to find them and I, I'm sure they're going to resonate with you too. But, Sure, the world changes. Uh, the, the, The world of Aesop is nothing like our postmodern world in 2022. This is true. But the inner depths of psychology, of humanity, of society in general, at its core level, so much is still the same. And these fables, if you read them, consider them, contrast them against your life and implement them into your life they have the same power to teach to instruct and to bring forth moral wisdom of as as any of the 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 most deep religious works this is what you can take from reading the fables of aesop and and, and i hope you'll read them uh wow aesop I think I'd spend a year just breaking down his dozens and dozens of fables, but in the minimum, I hope this provides a big picture over you overview because we're talking about morality in this podcast lecture series, and we're talking about looking at the various ways that humanity expresses ethics and morality. Uh, but in the minimum, I hope that I hope it does give you an overview uh, for you that you. Can then explore and i hope your curiosity takes you into studying these ancient wisdoms with real world application today so with that read along and by all means please post any questions or comments about the readings i'd love to have you respond to the discussion questions uh, as you get the most out of the th- podcast series by actively engaging with the content thanks so much for listening into the talk today uh next week we take on another icon and and when i say an icon he is one of my favorite philosophers of all time the great socrates i i know you know the name but next week we are going deep very deep into socrates so i hope you'll join in again next week Until then, I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care.